You are listening to the Midtown Church Podcast, a ministry that exists to make Jesus known. Before we jump into the text this morning, I'm going to ask you if you would stand with me, and we're going to take a few moments to pray specifically for this again, okay? Father, thank you that we can boldly approach you as our heavenly Father, all because of Jesus, our Savior. It was Jesus, our Savior, that said these words, a new commandment I give to you that You love one another just as I have loved you. You are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. We confess that we really don't have a clue how to love one another like this. We don't don't know to love like you love us for we often struggle ourselves in being able to comprehend or grasp your love for us on a regular basis. Holy Spirit, Romans 5 tells us that you've poured God's love into our hearts, but we we pray that you would show show us just how high and wide and deep and long the love of Jesus is for us so that we could love one another with with that kind of love. Would you move us beyond the superficial to truly practicing acts of love to our brothers and sisters here at Midtown? Help us to be like Paul the Apostle who said to the Thessalonians, we loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news but our lives too. Teach us what it looks like to really do life together. To weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. To carry one another's burdens. Father, I know there are some in this room, brothers and sisters today that are going through a fiery trial. Would you give them grace? And often fiery trials make us run in the opposite direction of of other saints, but give them grace to humble themselves and move towards others to reach out. And, And would you do a work in us and give us compassion and love and mercy and maybe not needing to say a lot, just love, just be there us the willingness to come alongside them even if it costs us greatly to see them encouraged, renewed, revived, restored. Your word tells us that the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk but of power. May we know the true power of your love among us and may this city and this neighborhood encounter Jesus by what they observe in us. We love you and we pray all of these things in the precious 
and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Listen to these words of Jesus in John 15. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Or this text in Luke 24, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. I couldn't help, but as I was reflecting on many of these verses this week, to ask the question, is this true of me living in the city of Vancouver? And if not, why not? Or John 17, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Or Matthew 10:22, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Or Matthew 10, 24 to 25, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? Is this true of you and I living in the city of Vancouver? And if not, why not? I mean, the culture is is cruising downstream and the call of the Christian is to swim upstream, to be countercultural, to be different, to stand out. Do we stick out? And if not, why not? I mean, personally, as I read these many texts, they, they seem so extreme in my mind, and I can't relate to these words of Jesus. No one hates me, or if you do, you don't need to tell me, because I love you. And um, I, I'm sure there are some, but, but being hated because I proclaim and live Christ in a way that that says exclusively Christ has to be Lord of your life, exclusively. That's a message that our culture does not wanna hear. I'll take a little bit of him and I'll take a little bit of this and a little bit of that, or you do what you're doing and I'll do what I'm doing, we'll get along just fine. But when the call is to exclusively make Christ Lord of everything, that changes everything. So should should I be hated? Should you be hated as Jesus says? And if not, or if we are to be hated, why are we not? Had me remembering a sermon that I heard maybe more than 20 years ago from Mark Dever, a pastor in Washington, D.C., who 
spoke on proclaiming Christ and how we're to live Christ to our neighbors. And he gave several guidelines and two that stuck out to me greatly was number one, tell them with honesty. Tell them with honesty. Tell your neighbors with honesty. Tell, tell the people that I frequent the JJB to Bean to get my scone. What, is, what does honesty look like? It's telling them this, there's a great cost to follow Jesus. Jesus just doesn't want a piece of you or a little bit of you. He doesn't want you just attending church on Sunday. He created you and you are an image bearer and he has called you to, to give your life to him and you will only know life when you give your life to him fully. And then the other one was to tell them with urgency to repent and believe now. Do, do we feel that weight? Do you feel that weight that you don't know that this afternoon your neighbor is not gonna drop dead of a heart attack? Do we, do we feel the need to urgently tell them about Jesus. If Jesus is the treasure worth selling everything for to purchase the field that the treasure is buried in, isn't it something that we, we wanna get out, we wanna tell about, we wanna tell it urgently? I, I'm talking out loud this morning. You're in my, my talk out loud session. Um, have, have we swung too far when it comes to, as we've seen last week in 1 Peter 3.15, they're giving a reason for our hope with gentleness and respect. And are, are we so careful not to offend that we've backed off and we failed to be honest and tell them with urgency their need for Jesus alone? I, I like people to like me. Anyone else in the room with me? In our text this morning, Peter is writing to encourage believers to choose the way of Christ. And that way of Christ is suffering. He's calling them to choose suffering over sin. He's calling them to choose the will of God over their own desires, to leave behind their old way of life, and when you do leave behind your old way of life, don't expect a pat on the back, but rather know this, that you potentially will get just the opposite. So we read in verse one, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, since therefore, what is the therefore, therefore? That's what we're supposed to ask. And Peter is picking up the theme of suffering again from chapter three, specifically verse 18, where we, he writes, for Christ also suffered once for sins. The thought here is, is because Christ suffered while here on earth, 
we are to think the same about suffering as Christ did. We are to arm ourselves with the same way of thinking. This arming is, is making ready. It's preparing our minds, our thinking, equipping our minds with this same way of thinking that Christ had. And so we're to choose Christ, which is to choose the way of suffering. It's not come to Jesus and kick back and relax and be on the cruise ship. It's come to Jesus and sign up for warfare. It's come to Jesus and be ready to lay your life down. We're to choose the way of Christ. It's my first point. And what is the way of Christ? The way of Christ is the way of suffering. Peter, like Peter, like Jesus, he's saying, chose suffering, you need to choose it as well. Jesus chose the way of suffering as his vocation, and he calls us to do the same. John 10, 18 says this, no one takes my life from me, I lay it down of my own accord. And what this text is saying is we need the same kind of thinking. We need to willingly say, I'm gonna lay my, my life down of my own accord, and I'm gonna suffer like Christ suffered. In Luke 9, Jesus foretells his death when he says to his disciples this, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. <coughs> and on the third day be raised. And then he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? And then Jesus says this, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Like, I, 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 I'm convinced I'm not ashamed of Jesus and I would have no problem if someone brings something up, I will gladly tell them about Jesus. I just, I think there's something missing in my, my telling them honestly and urgently. And, and, and I confess, uh, I, I like my life the way it is. You probably do too. So why, why upset things? The writer of the book of Hebrews is writing to a church that's experiencing suffering and he's telling them in chapter 12 to run with endurance the race that's set before him. These guys, this church, this pastor speaking to this little church, they are facing torture, floggings, and execution. You know, when we read in Hebrews 10 where the, the, the pastor encourages them, don't forget, don't forget to, don't neglect meeting together, some in their habit of doing. The, the question that you had to face in that time is if I go to church today, will I get executed? 
It's not a question I usually think about when I'm getting ready for church. And so this, this pastor, he's, he's telling them to run this race with endurance. He encourages them to do what? To look to Jesus, the one who is both the founder and perfecter of their faith. And then he reminds them, Jesus himself endured the cross. He despised the shame and he is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And then verse three says this, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Why? So that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. A Romanian pastor by the name of Richard Wormbrand who spent 14 years in prison behind the Iron Curtain wrote a book called 100 Prison Meditations. And in it, he writes, I have accepted this proposal, and we need to as well. Christians are meant to have the same vocation as their king, that of cross bearers. It is this conscience of a high calling and a partnership with Jesus which brings gladness in tribulations, which makes Christians enter prisons for their faith and with the joy of a bridegroom entering the bridal room. Paul and Silas gladly accepted that proposal because we read in Acts 16 that they're severely beaten and thrown in prison, put in the inner dungeon with their feet clamped in stalks. And in this condition, around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Oof. They chose the way of Christ, and the way of Christ was suffering. It was Paul the Apostle who wrote in Philippians 3, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. See, your loyalty to Christ will always be tested in the furnace of affliction. So the question is, will we choose the way of Christ, the way of suffering? Will we choose it? And then we read these words, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Huh, wouldn't that be nice? Huh? Come on, who wants to cease from sin? <laughs> Are you with me? Like, wouldn't that be the best day, best ever to, to happen? I mean, don't you long to just be done with sin? And um, I, I'm just right up front, this is a difficult text and there are several interpretations of this text. I, I love that Peter gives Paul the apostle a hard time in his second letter when he tells, he says that Paul's writings are difficult, they're hard to understand. <laughs> I, and we, did, you know, last week Norm unpacked a, a text that was difficult to understand. Peter just keeps, us giving, keeps giving us a, a yet another difficult text. So Peter, don't go throwing stones at Paul. You got some difficult texts as well, right? <laughs> um, anyone here know people in this room that have suffered a great deal? and they still sin? Yep. Um, 
So, so Peter can't mean that the one who suffers doesn't sin anymore. Is, is it impossible in this life to be fully freed from sin? I believe it is. I believe it's impossible. So my second point is that we are to choose suffering over sin. I believe of this text, and many would agree, the thought here is, it's this, this is the thought. The Christian who chooses suffering over sin has ceased from sin as a way of life. Sin is no longer the dominating force in their life. So whoever has suffered and continues to follow Jesus in spite of that suffering has made a clean break with sin. That's what I believe this text is saying. Sin is no longer your master, Jesus is. And if Jesus calls you to suffer, you will gladly obey. And as Jesus suffered for sin once and for all during his life on earth and will never again have to deal with sin, our battle with sin has an ending point as well, amen? It does. Suffering in this life as Christ suffered and battling sin will lead to final victory over sin one day. So we are to choose suffering over sin while we sojourn here on this earth. And we can because sin no longer dominates our lives if we are in Christ. When we choose suffering over sin, it's a sign that we've renounced our sinful desires and that we see the will of God as greater value. So Peter's calling these believers to arm themselves with a commitment to choose Christ, to choose suffering, the way of Christ over sin, and he's calling them to, to choose, to be committed to do the will of God and to see their past as just that, a thing of the past, and now they no longer live for themselves but for the will of God. So th this is what's taking place. So we read verse two. Peter now calls them to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions but for the will of God. <clears throat> so my third point is we are to choose the will of God over human passions. Until Jesus returns, there's a certain amount of time allotted to each and every one of us, right? And we don't, we don't, I always say there's a tick on the calendar. And uh, I've been on a couple flights. There was a flight one time going into Burbank, California. Me and my son, Joel, were on there. We were, we were heading in to do some uh, rehearsing for a recording we were doing. And we wondered why we were flying so long in the air because they told us we were, we were landing in 20 minutes and then, the, then it's like 30 and 40 and 50 and we're just kind of buzzing around California and then the pilot comes on and he says, um, we, our flaps won't come out and so this plane is gonna hit the ground very hard and, and he, he had that sense of nervousness in his voice. You don't ever like when that happens and the flight attendants all had the sense of nervousness and, and that was making everybody nervous. I just remember looking at my son, and I, I was thinking, if this is our day, buddy, we're, we're going to be with Jesus. Uh, and yeah, <laughs> so we come, we come down 
we come down finally and we hit the tarmac and we are going crazy hard. It smashes down and as, and as we're hitting the tarmac, like with just felt like full speed, um, there's ambulances and fire trucks and everything just like, they must have started way back because they were, they were going full bore chasing our plane down the runway and, and we stopped before we went into the ocean or wherever we, what was gonna happen. Um, and we couldn't land in Burbank, we had to go to LA, LAX or whatever it's called because bigger. Anyways, I, I say all that, that, that we, we got X amount of time, we, we don't know. There's so many years and so many months and no, nobody gets the same. There's no guarantee that you're gonna live till you're 90. Um, for the rest of our time here, we're to live for the rest of our time here, no longer for our human passions, but for the will of God. We, we presently live in the flesh, meaning we, we live in a weak and a fallen state. We're, we're subject to evil impulses. We're subject to pain and to death. And therefore, there's a choice needing to be made. Will we choose our own desires or will we choose the will of God? Peter reminds them that they have, they've already experienced enough evil things in their past. He said, you've done enough living in this way. So the call is to make a clean break from your former way of life, to put that behind you, to put all sin and disobedience to the will of God, and to live the rest of your time with a desire to do his will. Verse three, the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. I like how the NLT translation says, you've had enough in the past of evil things godless people enjoy. Come to Christ, there's a new affection, there's a new taste, there's a new desire. You've had enough in the past of the evil things godless people enjoy, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless and idolatry. Notice that they live in them. They live in them, living in them. Speaks of a constant state or a way of life. Now three of the words here have sexual overtones and two are related to indulging in alcohol and the last one is maybe more about the context in which all of these take place. Sensuality, passions, orgies, speak of those who engage in unbridled, unrestrained sensual pleasure or lusts the sinful passions that drive people into unrestrained sensual pleasure, the need for more, never being satisfied, drunkenness, drunken parties, speak of habitual intoxication, the, maybe the need to numb reality. And, and these, these all speak of a life that's bent on following one's own physical desire and allowing them to rule. And then there's lawless idolatry. I can't help but think about our culture and how our culture thinks about, about life, about me being here. No acknowledgement or recognition of the one who created us to bear his image, 
In Genesis 1, God created everything and when he created it, he said it was good. He created man in his image, male and female. And in that garden, man said, we're gonna take that, that crown off of your head, creator, the one who has called us to, to reflect you. We're gonna take that crown and we're gonna put the crown on our head and we're gonna be in charge of our own lives and our own destiny. And ever since Genesis 3, that has been the effect of all of mankind. We've said, I will be who I want to be. I will do what I want to do. I will give myself to whatever I want to give myself to, and no one can stop me. It's all about me, this life. But in reality, the greatest joy that we will, we will know in our life is when we make it all about him our creator, and when we live our lives for him. Jesus said, if, if, you, if you wanna keep your life in this world, you're gonna lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. Paul, Paul is, or Peter is saying, you're a Christian, you've had enough of these evil, godless things that you used to enjoy, but now you have new affections, new loves, new passions. And I would ask you this morning, Midtown, is this true of you? Is this true of you? <laughs> to the Christian who wonders if there will ever be a season in the future where one might indulge in, in an unrestrained moment of sin, Peter's words are clear. The time that has passed is sufficient. It's enough. Sin no longer is the dominating force in your life. Spirit of God indwells you and gives you the power to say no. And therefore, we need to choose the way of Christ. Choose suffering over sin. Choose the will of God over our passions. Listen, if you are here this morning and you are a professing Christian but you are living in sin and comfortable in that sin, I would question whether you are a Christian and you should as well. You might ask, well, can't a Christian do this or do that? You, you might be able to and get away with it once in a while. See, the, the goal isn't how close can I get to the line and maybe even once in a while dangle or hang over the line. The goal is how do I, how do I keep Jesus as my treasure so that Jesus is worth everything and I love Jesus more than all of the things in this life that are screaming for my attention on a regular basis. Proverbs 26, 11 says, like a dog that returns to its vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Don't be like a dog that returns to its vomit. If Jesus, if Jesus has saved you and awakened your heart, 
The goal is not how close can I get to it. The goal is The thought of every sin I've ever committed, it, it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished, the song said. It was my sin. When I keep going back and loving those things, man, So this is what a Christian looked like prior to encountering Jesus, but now that they've met Jesus, the ones that they're hanging out with are now surprised. I like that word, they're surprised. They, they no longer join them or run with them in their unbridled pursuit of pleasure, and, and, and they're surprised. Is that true of you? The gang, the old gang that you run with, do they look at you now and they're surprised because of the difference they see that Jesus has made in your life and you just don't go there anymore? Verse four, with respect to this, they're, they're surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. This word malign is to speak evil of or defame, injure the reputation of someone. This, Surprise leads to anger, it leads to hostility, it leads to verbal abuse and slander. This is what a clean break will get you. Your, listen to this, your non-participation in sin will often imply condemnation of that sin. I think sometimes we want to, we want to fit in and we want to, the, the whole kind of friendship evangelism or, you know, kind of look like as much as we can so that there's not, there's not the gap. Christian, there will always be a gap because of this exclusivity of Jesus Christ. There, there has to be a gap. And, and, and when that gap is there and they see it, they will malign you. Verse five tells us, but they will give account to who, him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. All suffering for Christ's sake will not go unnoticed. This may come suddenly without warning James writes and says our life is a mist. It's here and it's gone. That, that's why we need to tell them with urgency. Not even death will enable them to escape the judgment because we know clearly from Scripture that each one will appear before God to be judged. Everyone will stand before God, their maker, on that final day. And those who haven't trusted in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, 
will spend in eternity in separation in hell. Hebrews 4.13 tells us that no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. This is just a real light sermon, isn't it? You feeling the, the lightness of this? And then verse six happens and says, for this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. And here is yet another difficult verse. Some say the most difficult in the Bible. Uh, supposedly 20, at least 20 interpretations of this text. Uh, I'm gonna give you my thought, okay? Um, from all that I've read on this text, I believe this verse is referring to people who heard the gospel and then died, not people who heard the gospel after they died, okay? The word at the beginning, for, that word for is meant to take us back to Peter's previous thought in verses four and five, where he reminds us, you have enemies that will malign you because you won't join them in their debauchery, but they will be judged. Verse five, they will give an account. Nothing will go unnoticed and unpunished. And although it seems like the gospel was preached, it's like Peter's saying, although it seems like the gospel was preached in vain to your friends who are dead, and, and this may have actually been some of the maligning that was taking place because they, they would have been looking at the Christians and they would have said, you say you have eternal life, you say that you will live forever, and if that's true, then how come some of your friends are dead? They were judged in the flesh. And, and maybe even some of these who were maligning them were part of the execution. This is why Peter says the gospel was not preached in vain. For those who have died are very much alive. They live in the spirit the way God does. They are with the Lord, and if they could speak to you and me, they would probably tell us that the sufferings they experienced and the ones that you and I will experience are not worthy, as Romans 8, 17 says, to be compared to the glory that will be revealed. See, Peter writes this to encourage those who were still in the middle of suffering, still in the fight, to have hope because there is a day coming when all wrongs will be made right. And we will see, we will understand clearly when God, why God allowed, why he allows. And so I close with a text from 2 Corinthians. And if you would open your Bibles there with me, to 2 Corinthians chapter four. And we're gonna look at two, three verses before we conclude here. The apostle Paul writes, so we do not lose heart, though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed 
day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We do not lose heart, Midtown. This morning, will you choose the way of Christ? Will you choose suffering over sin? Will you choose the will of God over your human passions? Are you done with your old way of life? Will you choose Jesus Christ and the promise of being with him forever in spite of the maligning or whatever is gonna happen, in spite of being hated, will you, will you choose him? Amen, let's pray. Father, thank you. Um, thank you for your word. Uh, just this week, um, being in your word and meditating on your word has had me searching my heart and, and I, I pray for, for everyone in this room when the psalmist writes in Psalm 139, Lord, you search me and you know me. And you know, when I sit up and when I get down and when I'm, you know, my thoughts before words on my tongue, you know it, you know everything about us. And yet at the end of that psalm, the psalmist prays with greater earnest, search me and know me. And, and I found myself this week just praying that. Uh, Lord, I have a desire to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, and, but I, I, would, I would be the first to admit that, that uh, sometimes choosing the way of suffering is, 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 is not the, the path that I, I love or, or want to choose. Often the will of God over my passions is not what I want to choose, and so Holy Spirit, we need you this morning to magnify Christ, to do a work in our hearts, to, to see Jesus and who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us afresh so that it, it would be easy for us to daily take up our cross. And so I, I pray for us as a church, would you, would you give us a fresh, glimpse of the glory of Christ this morning, that we would choose his way, that we would choose suffering over sin, that we would choose the will of God over our passions and our desires. Jesus, we love you and we thank you in your great name, amen. For more information about Midtown, please go to mtownchurch.ca.